0: Okay, every year we do this sermon series, and by we, I mean me, and I've, I've fully confessed to you that I planned this right before Black Friday, and what are we going to talk about today? Money. Yeah, we're going to talk about money. Oh, man. Yeah, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about it in a little bit different way this year. Um, I've, I've titled the series about generosity, and this first day we're going to talk about first fruits and what that means, but... Um, We're also talking about, when we talk about generosity and money, we're talking about who we are, talking about who we are and for what purpose God has placed us in this place right now, wherever you live in your neighborhood. We're looking at where God has placed us, because wherever he's placed us, we find ourselves there and we we have to ask the question, why? And that's because God is looking for partners who are going to help him bring shalom Shalom can be translated as peace, but he wants to bring shalom into chaos. That's the idea. You are placed where you are, where you work, with your family, in your neighborhood, in the context in which you live, so that you can make a difference. And God wants to work in you and through you to make that difference. So last year, when I talked about living generously, uh, and I talked about a bit about what it means to be a kingdom of priests as a church. We're supposed to be a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation, what does it mean to live out the role of a priesthood in this world where we are putting God on display by the way that we live, not the way we think but by the way that we live and the way that we intercede on behalf of others and how we distribute generously to others so this year we 're going to revisit this idea, and here 's what I want to do for this time instead of um, instead of looking uh, at uh, one key passage from the New Testament. I want to go back to the roots, and I want to go to Leviticus. Yay! <laughs> Everybody's like, yay, Leviticus, right? We're so excited. But I want to go back there to when God originally called a partner for him, his people, the, Isra- the Israelites, the Hebrew people, and he, that's when he originally finds this people, this somebody that he wanted to use as a conduit for his love, and how did he shape those people into a partner that would be a generous kingdom of priests? And of course, they had ups and downs, but we're going to look at what he laid out for them in the beginning, okay? And so for these next few weeks, we're going to take a kind of a bird's eye view of some really, really old principles. Because when you're talking Leviticus, you're talking 3,500, you're talking way long time ago, okay? Thousands of years ago. Um, and it's a worldview that's completely different than ours and God gave this group of people these principles, and so we want to see what the big idea is and see how it can translate and still apply to our world. So the first thing we're going to talk about in this series is the principle of first fruits, okay? Now, some of you have probably heard of the principle of first fruits if you've been in church for a long time. You, you connect it with this other word. What's the other word when we talk about money? Tithes, right? Um, You've heard the word that you've kind of, maybe you put tithes and first fruits together, that they're kind of synonymous. And I want to redeem that a little bit because maybe that's, I don't really think that's actually necessarily the case. A lot of different preachers have wanted to put first fruits and the tithe together. But here's what I would say. I would say the tithe is a part of the first fruits, and, but the first fruits are, are, are much wider and deeper than just the tithe. So if you want to write something in your notes, I'll leave that up there for a minute. I think that the first fruit is much wider and deeper than just the tithe, and we're going to talk about that larger principle today. So here's another thing we're going to do. Instead of just going at one passage like I alluded to before, we're going to kind of just, I'm just going to kind of skip some stones across Leviticus and Deuteronomy and some of the Torah, uh, the first five books that we attribute to Moses, and we're going to try and glean some things. And what that means is we're not going to go super deep, but it's going to leave you with a lot of questions on purpose. Because if you've been at our church for a while, I don't like to wrap it all up for you and go, here, we talked about that in the last couple weeks, like, here, I'm going to give you this information, and you just put it in a shelf, you put it on the shelf and go, yeah, I learned that. I'm more interested in you wrestling with the questions that come from the text. So, you ready? Let's buckle up, okay? Exodus chapter 22, you didn't buckle up, okay? That means get out your Bible and get out your device. I'm going to put it up on the screen, but you might want to see if I did it right. I might make a mistake. I don't know. Um, Exodus 22, verses 29 through 30. Don't hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. That's a good place to start, right, when we're talking about money. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them... To me on the eighth day. Now, it is one thing, you're like, why is he starting here? I'm just going to string these together for you, and I said this is going to leave you with a lot of questions. It's one thing to talk about your sheep and your cattle, but he starts right off by saying, Give me your firstborn sons. And uh, here you go, God, here's my firstborn son. But in, in Hebrew, the firstborn son is the word behor, okay? behor. Give me your behor. What? I mean, what is going on here? What kind of question does that provoke for you? Give me, give me, don't hold back from your offerings. Give me your firstborn sons. Number one, why does God declare that in the first place? That's where I start. I go, what? what? Because, you know, for Beth and I, we waited a long time to have our, our firstborn, who happened to be a son, our Behor. And it was very hard for us. We didn't have, our, we didn't have him until we'd been married nine years. Right? And so uh, that was a long time coming. And you want me to give him to you? Excuse me, God? (laughs) It's one thing to talk about your livestock and your money and your wealth and your resources, but your sons. What does it mean to give God your firstborn son and why does he start here? And I would suggest a couple of ideas that we should wrestle with. Could it be, could it be that God starts with the firstborn son because he wants. He wants what's most important to us. He wants what's most important to you. There is no part of your life that the principle of first fruits does not touch. And this falls into that category of first fruits. He's like, your son or your firstborn is part of the first fruits. And he says, this applies to that as well. And one of the greatest blessings that God has ever given any of us is our kids. It's our children. He starts with children. So Behor was the firstborn son, and our calling in the world as God's people, what we discussed last year as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, our calling in the world as God's people is to be God's Behor. He says, you are my firstborn son, Israel, and we're an extension of that. He says, you are my firstborn son. And he's basically like, look, I love all my kids, but I need you, my firstborn son. You need to understand how much I love you and what I'm calling you to so that you can spread my values. We we talk about that a lot in here as a church when we talk about our identity that we are princes and princesses of the king. We are part of a royal family, a royal priesthood, and he's calling us he's calling us to be about his business, kingdom business, all right? So he's like, I want you to spread my values to the rest of my children out there in the world, and I, the main thing is I want you to tell them that daddy loves them. That's what I want you to tell them. That's the role of the firstborn. That's the role of the Behor. We could get into a lot of things here with Jacob and Esau and the secondborn stealing the birthright of the firstborn and all that kind of stuff. And Joseph and his brothers, and he's getting the birthright of the Behor. His dad's treating him like the firstborn when he's like second to last and that kind of thing. And the whole story that's going on in the Old Testament is about, are you going to be what I want you to be, my firstborn son? So the role of the firstborn is to, is to spread God's message of love that I, I am for you, I'm not against you, and I, and I love you. So there's kind of this metaphorical arrow, I think, in the text here pointing towards the fact that we are called in our generosity, in our first fruits, to be this firstborn son. But all of this raises another question. How do you give your firstborn son? I mean, how do you do that? How do you give your kid to God, you know? Um... It's one thing to take your, your sheep to the temple and say, okay, God, here you go. Here's my sheep, right? Uh, it's another thing to take your son and you just drop him off at the curb. What do you do? You know, I don't. Um, no, thank you very much. I'm going to keep my son, okay? Well, there's a story in Scripture where somebody did this. How many of you remember the story of Hannah? She says, I want a son. I want to give him to God and basically says, yeah, and he's raised in the, in the priestly home of uh, Eli, who ends up raising him. But 99% of the time, you didn't want to do that. And they didn't want to do it back then either. You don't hear all these stories of everybody in Israel doing this. And why? Well, luckily, God gave us Leviticus 27. So let's look at that. Now, if you've ever read this passage in Leviticus 27, you're kind of like, this is like the most, one of the most primitive, barbaric kind of passages disgusting thing that god put in the bible but you need to add some context to it this is about the art of redemption uh, in a culture that's far removed from ours a really long time ago so let's say you want to keep your firstborn son how many of you want to keep your firstborn son yeah okay half of you but the other half i don't know about you people okay so um so You know, if you haven't been here very long, I like to ask questions, and I expect you to respond, okay? Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's okay in Seattle to um, raise your hand (laughs) and look your neighbor in the eye. Um, Yeah, all the introverts just shuddered. Something died inside. Um, He said I could raise my hand. Okay, You you want to keep your firstborn son, so how do you do that? God says you need to buy him from me. You need to buy him from me because he's mine. He's mine. You need to buy him from me. I need an offering from you where you get the chance to recognize the good gift I've given you in your kids, in your firstborn son that I gave you in this child. So Leviticus 27, remember this is 3,500 years ago or more, you know, in a culture totally different than our own. This is what it says. Verse one, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if anyone makes a special vow to dedicate a person to the Lord by giving the equivalent value. So this isn't one of those grotesque, you thought I was going to, you know, I said this is gross and barbaric. This isn't like, it's not like bloody and all that kind of thing. This is just, listen to what it's saying, okay? If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate a person to the Lord by giving the equivalent value, set the value of a male between the ages of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels of silver according to the sanctuary shekel. For a female, set her value at 30 shekels. For a person between the ages of 5 and 20, set the value of a male at 20 shekels, and of a female at 10 shekels. For a person between one month and five years, set the value of a male at 5 shekels of silver, and that of a female at 3 shekels of silver. For a person 60 years old or more, set the value of a male at 15 shekels, and a female at 10 shekels. If anyone... If anyone making the vow is too poor to pay the specified amount, the person being dedicated is to be presented to the priest who will set the value according to what the one making the vow can afford. So imagine this. You go to the temple, and you're supposed to get my firstborn son, and they have the menu up there, and it's all these prices. You know, you can have it your way or whatever. Um, So without context, this seems a little primitive, doesn't it? By the way, I have to deal with this because I know what you're thinking. Like, if you were doing the math... And a bunch of you men were not doing the math, but a bunch of you females were doing the math, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, And because I know this will bring up a lot of questions. The reason of the value of a female... Seriously, that's just... The value of a female, seriously, think about that statement. We were talking about a long time ago in a different culture, a patriarchal culture, meaning the men are at the top of the food chain. Listen to me. Listen to me now, no culture in the day of Leviticus, no people group anywhere back then put a value on women at all. But God does right here, and it might not be enough, you're saying it's not enough, and you're darn right it's not enough. They were property because they didn't get any inheritance. Because a woman didn't get an inheritance, she didn't have any monetary value. So, for God to give a female in the book of Leviticus, thousands of years ago, two thirds the value of a male, it's actually mind blowing. Because this is nowhere else in antiquity. Nowhere else it's actually mind blowing this is actually quite liberal for back in the day like way off the charts okay people would back then would have been like you what you give in value you know they would have been what are you talking about women don't have a value and god says yes yes they do all right and that begins he begins i would wager the very slow process throughout scripture if you do the homework, he begins the very slow process throughout Scripture of redeeming women and their value from the culture. Redeeming women from a land that's fallen under the curse of Genesis. Okay? Are you with me? Now, over the course of Scriptures, women will be redeemed. They will be. And my question is, why are we still oppressing them? <laughs> Darius isn't here, so all you other women can say, amen, right? Okay, moving on. The next passage, Leviticus 27. That one was for free. Might cost me, I don't know. Um, Not in my house, it won't. So, Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 33. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain for the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, it's holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes into the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. So if you caught that, every tenth, what's a tenth? What's the word we use for that? A tithe. A tithe means, uh, means a tenth. Every tenth of... Of what? Of everything. Every tenth of everything goes to God, whether that's money, whether that's the grapes on the vine, the tomatoes on the vine, the carrots in the garden, your apple tree. Every, every ten apples you pick out and put in the bucket, one goes over here. Okay? Every tenth goes to God. Now, it says you can buy it back from God. God just says take a, take its value, whatever it's worth, whatever that thing is, take, add a fifth of the value to it, and you can keep it if you want, but I want a gesture of recognition from you. You can either give it to me, give me the tenth, or you can keep it, add a value of it, and pay for it, but I want you to recognize that every time you turn around, every time you walk around the corner, every time you wake up in the morning and you see your kids and you see the food on your table, every time you come home to a home, I want you to recognize That it's from me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you is what he's after, okay? And this section falls under the principle of first fruit. So every tithe of the herd and flock that passes under the shepherd's rod, no one may pick out the good from the bad. Because you know you do that. You're going, you bought the bananas, and you pick, and if some of them are turning brown, you you find the one that's the best for you. (laughs) Right? My kids, as soon as there's a spot on the banana, I'm like, actually, right when they have the spot, that's the best time to eat it. Like, you know, it doesn't when it's all like totally yellow, it's gonna be hard and not not good. You know, that's when when it's just turned brown, that's when you put it in the smoothie. All right, it's awesome. So. The tithe is definitely 10%, but it's a little bit of everything. Next passage, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 23 through 25. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. <laughs> I just see nacho libre there. He's forbidden, you know. Uh, for three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. So in the fourth year, in the fourth year, count it, you planted the tree, year four, I take all this fruit from that tree for the entire year and I give it to God. All of it. Or I buy it from Him. You can do that, remember? You have to add, a, add a fifth of the value to it and you can buy it. A gesture of recognition. But basically, it's a recognition that this new tree that I planted, it bears fruit because of God. Because God gave it to me. It's a recognition. In the fifth year, you can eat its fruit. Of course, in that fifth year, as you pick the tr- fruit from the tree, how much of it goes to God? A tithe, right? One-tenth of it goes. So in that way, your harvest may be increased. Now let's go to the next passage. Leviticus 23, 9-14. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest... Bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. So I'm not going to even get into a study on what this waving stuff is. As a matter of fact, I have no idea. Waving it on the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a wood offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and drink it and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any, not eat any bread or roast any, or, or roast uh, any new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Because all of you do this, right? You get out the sheaf of wheat and you wave it around and you pour the wine on the altar. No. Imagine at harvest time, let's say you take your combine out. I'm thinking of Son-in-Law right now, that old movie. (laughs) And he's in the combine and he's doing the row and he's going all over the place. But imagine you take your combine out and you have your harvest, your crop, whatever it is that you're collecting, right? You go down the first row, Okay. And then you turn it off, and you jump out, and you collect all that crop, and you take it to the temple, and you say, this is for you, God. This is for you. It's a way of saying, God, before I do anything else, before I do anything else, before I harvest the rest of my field, before I enjoy any of its goodness at my table, before I take anything to the market to sell it, before I do anything with this whole field, I'm going to recognize through an offering, and a sacrifice, and a meal, imagine imagine the discipline this takes in their world, because it's not like you can go to the grocery store, it's like, I have to do this to sell it to eat, to get other things to eat that I don't grow in this trade and barter system, like, I have, and God is telling me, right at the harvest time, when I get the first tenth of this thing done, the first fruits, I'm like, first row's done, and I'm going to stop right now, so imagine when you get your paycheck, or imagine when you finish whatever job that they pay you for, and you're like, I'm going to stop right now, okay? I heard a story of a guy who heard, heard a sermon about giving, and he had just gotten out of jail, and he got a job, and he came to church, and he gave his entire first paycheck. And he was like, I have a job, and I'm going to give it to God. First fruits, you know? We couldn't touch this kind of type of discipline in our world. We are not as nearly as disciplined as this to be able to do that. Uh, He's asking for a gesture of the first fruits. It's a gesture of saying, I recognize where everything comes from. The clothes on my back, the cars that I have, no matter what condition they're in. (laughs) Right? The food on my table. If any of you have moved recently, you know how much stuff you have. Everything you have. Everything that you have okay? It's first fruits. This God, he has made everything grow. He's making everything grow in your life. He's also told you the best way to live, and I'm going to trust that. Next passage, at the end of Leviticus 23, verses 37 through 38, which is a whole chapter of all the different parties you're supposed to throw. Are you awake? Seriously, it's a whole chapter of the parties that the people of God are to throw. And literally what he says about midway through, I think it's in uh, verse 29 and 30, my paraphrase, God says, you will party or I will kill you. Go read it. Flannel graph that, okay? Like seriously, you were not taught that in Sunday school. You weren't, you weren't, I wasn't. You're going to party or I will kill you, is what he says. Okay, you go through the whole thing. Not kidding. Bill and Ted. <laughs> there's, a, there's a sequel. It's coming out. It's coming out. You, more of you should appreciate that. It's genius. Okay, so um, this is what it says. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord. The burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day... Listen now, this is the next sentence. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbaths and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. Remember that first principle I said that I thought that the principle of first fruits is so much wider and deeper than the tithe? And we have a hard time, Just To be honest, we have a hard time talking about 10%. I mean, we're even like, I get this every single year, and so help me if I get this today. I'm going to pull my hair out. Well, is it before taxes or after taxes? Shut up! Seriously. This, This is the world back then, and they're giving far beyond. The world back then, where it's, you know, it's not paycheck to paycheck, It's like if I don't plant this and it doesn't grow and it doesn't produce, then I don't eat and then I die. And I'm I'm going to give way more than 10% to this God that I believe provides me with everything. There should be another amen right there. All right? Every time you purchase something at the grocery store, every time you fill up at the gas tank, every time you put something in your Amazon, shopping cart, every time you pay for your gym membership, whether it's the Y or LA Fitness or Bar 3 or the Row House or whatever that we have here, every time you go to coffee with a friend, every time you're able to pay rent, every time you get a bonus or a raise, every time there is a gesture, God says, a thank you, thank you, thank you. Why? Because you know where it came from. You know where it came from. Now, let's go to one of my favorites, Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, verse 6. Observe the commands, the commands of the Lord your God. Now, we're not even going to get into this. Like, I'm just going to tell you, uh, and we can argue this out later, or we can, you can get in your kinfold group and talk about it, or whatever you want to do. We've handled this the last two years. Like, Jesus is pro-tithe. And I can point you to all the chapter and verse there, okay? He is pro-tithe. It's not, I get this as well, besides the 10% before and after tax, blah, blah, blah. I get this, well, that's so Old Testament. Jesus was a Jew who did the stuff in the Old Testament. And just because a few times they're like, oh, you liberal Jesus, you're working on the Sabbath, that doesn't mean you get to throw everything out. He is redefining those things in the Old Testament, but they are certainly still there. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to Him, and revering Him. Revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Just pause for a minute. He said, <laughs> you really want to try a hard discipline? Try praying after you eat. How many of you have ever done that? I mean, it's, you, we pray before we eat, right? Because we think that's going to make your food better or more holy? Uh, you know? Uh, no. God has made everything good. The hard prayer is to pray when your stomach is full. You learn this in Lent. When you don't eat... And then you do eat, and you pray for the good things that he's given you. It's one thing to pray to God when you're hungry, and it's another thing to pray to God after you're done, and you say thank you for that, and you recognize where it came from. Thank you for this meal that I just ate. It came from you, you know? Let's move on. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you, right? That's what I just said. Pray after you eat. (laughs) Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So don't worry, none of this is relevant to us. Right? Totally not relevant. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down. Verse 17, skip to verse 17 of chapter 8. You may say to yourself, my power, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. We've got to learn this principle, my friends. We've got to learn this principle in our culture. And we betray ourselves in the way that we talk. <laughs> when we talk the way that we do, I got a raise. I got the job. I got an A on my test. I got the new car. Really? You got an A on your test? Or did God allow you to do what you needed to do to get an A? And some of you are like, it was a miracle I got an A on that test, right? Um, some of you may be saying, I got a raise? Really? Or did God choose to make that happen? Really? You're like, come on, Worth, I, I, I studied hard, or I worked hard, and I went to school, and all this, you know, and it was given to me because I worked hard. Really? Or has God blessed me with the ability and the situation where I was able to upgrade my vehicle or whatever it is? Everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. And you just got to hold it loosely, okay? But remember the Lord your God, for it is He. If you ever forget the Lord your God, you will be destroyed. Don't ever forget, is what he's saying. Don't ever forget how He has blessed us. Don't forget your story. Don't forget from where you came from, out of slavery. The, the metaphor and the analogy from the Old Testament to New is, right? God's people are rescued out of slavery from Egypt. We are rescued out of slavery from sin. By a new Moses his name is Jesus okay and that's their story and it's our story too everything hinges on us remembering that story and being grateful and thankful and remembering who he is thereby knowing who we are and how do we respond to him how do we respond to him let's go to one more here Deuteronomy 16 verses 16 through 17 Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place He will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. Those are the parties, my friends. Those are the parties, okay? No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. In proportion. The text basically says because we don't forget where we come from, There are these parties that everyone in the community is going to show up for. And when you show up for this party, when you show up for this party, God says, the reason you're celebrating, I want you to remember the reason you're celebrating is to remember where you came from. Remember your story. Remember me as your God, as integral to saving you. Okay? And then he says, don't ever show up empty-handed. Don't ever show up empty handed, is what he says. Listen, how silly would it be to show up before the God of the universe who's given you every good gift to the party and show up with nothing? How silly would that be? Before the most generous God of the universe who's given you everything you've ever enjoyed in your life and say, I'm here to party. I brought nothing. I brought nothing. Because there's something that happens when we. It's something that happens to us when we don't observe first fruits. We begin to think that it's all mine. We begin to think that it's all mine. And it's not mine, it's God's to begin with. So. Just a couple different passages. We already looked through enough, but if you have the chance to look at Numbers 18, write that in your notes, Numbers 18. Read through that this week. Look at what God says about offerings in that passage of Numbers 18. God is trying to make a particular point there. Um, The main one would be these offerings that the Israelites give. The offerings are given to who? And he says, they are given to me. Me. They're given to God. He says, These are mine. These are mine. First fruits, the way I would translate that is first fruits are not given to priests. First fruits are not given to the temple. First fruits are not given to an institution. You can fast forward to today. First fruits are not given to a church. They're not given to a church budget. They're not given to Church staff, first fruits are given to God. To God. It's about you and God. It's about me and God. It's not about how you feel about a budget or whatever. Uh, read Numbers 18. I think you'll find that God says the Israelites have given me these gifts. And then he says, and now, now, priests, I give it back to you, and here's how I want you to spend it. Right? This is why our elders have decided that we're now giving 16%. 16% of what comes in, we give away. Because we want to follow this seriously. Okay? 16%. And I won't get in. You can read our thing in the back about giving and all that stuff. We, we're a debt free church. We're not asking you to give some debt that we've incurred or anything like that when we talk about giving. Because some of you are, I see your wheels turning. Listen to me. If any of those priests back then, metaphorically speaking today, if they were to misuse the first fruits that God gave them to use, then they would have to answer for that dearly, is what the text says, if they were to misuse it. So by implication, The same thing for us. I think far too many of us rob ourselves of the principle of first fruits because we don't like the institution that we're giving to. We don't like the the budget. To which I would, I'll be honest with you. We're very clear here. Like if you don't like that and you're still here, why? (laughs) Because we're all about doing awesome things in the neighborhood, and we're gonna put we're gonna put our finances into that. But it's not about any of that. You don't give your first fruits to a budget. You give it to the Lord. Secondarily, I would direct you to Psalm 24. You can write that in your notes as well. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Later in that text, God says He says this. He's going to say, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I don't need anything from you. Because he's God. I don't need anything from you. Here's how much God needs from you. In case you didn't get that. Zero. He needs nothing from you. It's not about what God needs. That's not what these first fruits are about. It's not about what he needs. It's not about what an institution needs. He says, I want you to give it to me. It's about you and him. God gave you the principle of first fruits. He doesn't need your money because he's got plenty. But he does want the the principle of first fruits to be applied in your life for your benefit. It's a gesture of recognition. So let's go back to that statement at the very beginning. Uh, well, actually, this is a different way of rephrasing it. Number one, the principle of first fruits is a tangible discipline. It's tangible that it teaches us the stuff in our lives is not ours to begin with. It's not ours to begin with. It's not ours to begin with. Number two, the principle of first fruits is a tangible discipline that saves us from ourselves. This should be pretty much self-evident. Because what begins to happen in our culture, just like the culture back then, is that I begin to think that it's all mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. My precious. Um, that's the second in two weeks, Lord of the Rings reference, okay? We still haven't watched it yet. we got to get there. But it's not yours. It's not mine. It belongs to God. And the first fruit, the principle of the first fruits, teaches me to view the stuff in my life appropriately. And it saves me from my greed, and it saves me from my selfishness, and it saves me from my self-centeredness, and it saves me from a lot of things, which would lead me to say this. Principle number three, the principle of first fruits is a tangible discipline that the Holy Spirit uses to transform us. You better believe it. I can make you a promise for the end of 2019, because we're almost there, and we're almost in 2020. Can you believe that? And the rest, I can make you this promise that it will carry throughout 2020. If you will find a way, if you will find a way, and notice that I didn't apply it in some specific way, because it looks so different from each one of us, because I'm not a teacher, and I'm not a nurse, and I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a lawyer, okay? Okay? I'm not an HR person, I'm not a software engineer, I'm not retired, it looks different for all of us, but if you will do the hard work of finding out what First Fruits looks like in your life for the end of this year and and the rest of next year, my promise is this, you will be a more merciful, gracious, compassionate, and loving, generous person at the end of next year than you were today. I I see this in my own life. I used to to tip like whatever I thought. (laughs) Whatever I thought was okay, whatever, you know. I'm just going to give him a a buck or two to my waiter or my waitress, right? Um, Then I got a job as a waiter. (laughs) I got a job as a waiter. Anybody else been a job, had a a waiter or waitress job, okay? And somebody in our seminary, grad school said to us, you know, every graduate should work at a restaurant at some point in their life, because you're going to learn what it means to be a servant without any recognition. Um, first fruits really is about how you tip, kind of, okay? I mean, it really is about how you tip. I had, I had one time where the, store, the restaurant was about to close. Beth's waiting for me to come home. It's probably like 9.45 at night and a party of like 25 people walk in. And my boss, the general manager, says, who wants it? Who wants the party? And we're all ready to go home, right? And here I am, hard up for money, but a couple, of, he asked some other people first, and they all say, no, I wanna get out of here. He's like, all right, Wheeler, it's you. And I'm like, okay, well, at least I'm gonna make some extra money, right? Serve, the, they order everything. I'm there, I'm there past midnight, basically. And you, it comes to the time Guy shakes, shakes my hand, thanks, you were a really great server, hands me the, the little card thing or whatever, paid for the meal. I come back after they leave. I have to clean everything up, you know. And I've got a card from his church that says, come to church sometime. And no tip. And here I am, one of the only Christians on staff, going, this is why. This is why people don't trust Christians. There's no, there's zero generosity there. Zero. It's not the way it's supposed to work because it's not about the waitress and the service. Not about the budget. It's not about the waitress and the service. It's about you. It's about you. Tipping saves you from yourself. It saves you from yourself. It transforms your heart. It makes you ask the larger question, who is this person that's serving me? And where do they live? And what's their family situation like? And that kind of thing. By the way, if you're in our neighborhood and you say you're from West Seattle Christian Church and you do that, you and I are going to have a problem. (laughs) You tip well in the junction, okay? Please and thank you. It doesn't doesn't just want to give the, the waitress or the waiter just a couple of bucks. That's not how God tries to use it. The tip is for you and for your heart. The first fruits. The first fruits are for you and your heart. It's between you and God. Okay? And there are all these different levels of this, and all of them come down to this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to give you a couple of questions. I'm going to invite Glenn and Mike to come back up. Just a couple of questions. Uh, to bother you with, (laughs) okay? Um, Yeah, I'm talking about tithing, but I'm talking about something far deeper and wider than that. Here's a question for you. What kind of commitments do you need to make to first fruits? Starting today, for the end of this year, for next year, throughout 2020, what kind of first fruit commitments can we make that are gonna change us? To be the kinds of people that God wants to use as conduits in our city for his love. Because engaging with first fruits, it will help you deal with your heart. It will will help you deal with your heart. Another question I might wrestle with is this. Is there something that has gotten in the way? Because I find this one to be very prevalent as a pastor over the years. I've had a lot of conversations with people in churches. Is there something that's gotten in the way? Is there somebody, somebody in the church... Is there some institution, is there some person that at some point abused your trust? Abused your finances or whatever. And now that gets in the way of what God wants to do with your heart. Especially with this principle of first fruits. I find this one all the time. Here's what I would say to you. Don't let that something get in the way. Because they're going to have to answer to the Lord for whatever it is that they did or didn't do. And so will everyone here at this church, past, present, and future. I tell you what, when we give away 16%, it helps our heart. And it also lines everything else up. I mean, we're penny pinchers. We want to do good. And we're like, this, this, this lines everything else up so that you don't do stupid things with your money. Okay? Just practically speaking. But don't let that get in the way if that's your situation, okay? I've got a family member who, it took him decades, it took him 60 years to come back to church because he experienced something like that. Is there something that's gotten in the way? Will But will you be a more generous person in 2020? And will you be an even more generous person in 2025? And in 2030, you thought 2020 was never going to come and it's going to be 2030 before you know it. And will you see any change in your heart and in yourself and in your spiritual growth between now and then? This is a tangible discipline is what I what I wrote. Right. A tangible discipline. What kind of things do you want to put in place this Christmas season coming up? And in the next year and in the next year and the year after that and the year after that, what will you put in place with God to help get you there? told you I was going to bother you with those questions so let's pray god we live in a culture of idolatry and we serve the idol of self and we serve the idol of our stuff and our wealth and our money and our property God, I pray that you'll teach us that it's not ours to begin with. We are just stewards because the whole earth is yours and everything in it. We are just conduits for your blessing, conduits for you bringing shalom into chaos. God, we we confess that we don't like to talk about this stuff because it gets at the core of, and at the root of what we find to be most important. So we ask for your help, God. We ask that you would help us put at least a couple new practices in place for the end of this year and for the beginning of the next year and throughout it. Practices that are going to start and they're going to change and they're going to shape our hearts. And God, we're sorry for all the times that we have begun to think that our our stuff is ours. Help us remember that it's all yours. It's all yours. Thank you for being the giver of every single good gift. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Everyone said, amen.